Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm your host, Doug Burke, and today we're here with Philip White. Philip White grew up in Alabama and moved to Nashville in 1992, determined to be a songwriter. He struggled to get his work recognized and recorded, and he poured that frustration into a song, I'm Moving On. The song was recorded in the late 90s by an unknown group for their first self-titled album, Rascal Flats. It wasn't until a decade later in 2002, when it was released as a single, that Philip got his big break. The song became the 2003 Academy of Country Music Song of the Year. Goodbye. Hey! Hey! She left him broke in his new truck. He don't smoke, but he lights one up. Temporary fix for his heartache. He's hurting bad, but he's feeling great. He's on the got his beer goggles on can we talk about beer goggles we can definitely talk about beer goggles it's uh it's funny i wrote it with a buddy of mine named mike mobley and i was uh moving houses i just bought a house and i was redoing it anyway mikey uh i called him up and i said hey man can you come help me hang sheetrock on this day and uh so he shows up with a case of beer and a guitar and we drank the case of beer and wrote this song and then i hired somebody to do the sheetrock <laughs> but uh it was funny we demoed it the next day and i'm like oh my gosh this song's horrible and then neil mccoy heard it and loved it and put it out and it became a huge hit it goes to show out I, I don't always know so <laughs> And would you call this a summer hit song? I mean, that was I, I think so. It's, it's like, break. I, I think it's a cross between summer and it's fun. You know, I take a lot of pride in my writing. I'm more of a, like a poet and a deep kind of writer. I'm known for like ballads. So, so this was something kind of new for me, but it was so much fun because, uh, like Neil got, uh, Rob Snyder to star in the video. It, it was just a fun thing to go through because, it's not my typical style of writing. So finishing a case of beers, you don't do that on every song? No, absolutely not. Maybe I need to, you know. Did you know you were going to write a song about beer goggles, wearing beer, a guy 
who has beer goggles on. That was not an ideal. We just started uh, picking guitar and then... Uh, and drinking beer. And drinking beer. And then we ended up, you know, my... I lost my first cousin. His name was Billy. And we got to laughing about some times we had. And so it ended up Billy's got his beer goggles on. We've all been there where we've been in, in the bar and, you know, uh, twos turn into tens and... Uh, you know, it's just, it's about half the people I grew up with and on a Friday, Saturday night that just, this just going out and blowing off a week of hard work. You know, everything looks better after you've had a few. So this is not about any particular person. This no. is an amalgamation of. This was just us picking and having fun. And it's just a lot of fun being a part of it. Because every week we look at it at Char and go, man. Did this really go up? You know, when it hit the charts, I think it debuted in the 50s. And then it'd get up in the 40s and be like, man, really? It's top 40. Then it broke top 30. It's like, man, are you kidding me? And then finally it broke in top five and we were just elated, you know? Yeah. No, that's one of Neil McCoy's biggest hits, yeah, right? Absolutely. And I'm fixing to do some shows with him in a couple of weeks. And, uh, Longview, and every time I see him, he's like, "Man, thanks for prolonging my career. I'm still out working on this song you wrote for me." So it's funny. I I'm very blessed and uh, thankful that uh, Mikey showed up with that guitar and case of beer. So you you write the song, right? You sleep it off, and yeah. then you know what's what, funny? What this song so almost never. Uh, Never saw the light of day, but the next day, Mikey had a uh, demo session and he had uh, four songs and there was room at the end of the session to get one more. And he just threw this on the end and it ended up being the one off the session that got picked up and recorded and became a hit. So they listened to a whole tape. Yeah. Get to beer goggles. Yeah. And well, it's and like what happens. They jump up and down and say, this is everybody that heard is like, man, I've never heard that hook before. And it's just fun. So like everybody in the publishing company, when the demo came in, was just like rocking it. Like there for about a week, every time you'd walk in the door, you'd hear it coming out of a song plugger's office going, man, listen to this. It was funny on the demo. We ended it like, we did the Budweiser frog thing just to like be goofy. And anyway, it didn't make it onto Neil's record, but that was like the thing they kept replaying the Budweiser kind of deal. So, so the promotions department at the record label mm -hmm. got behind this record before it was released and were in love with it. Yeah. I think it was mainly Neil. Neil's show. I don't know if you've ever seen him. It's very high energy. And at the time, you know, he he was climbing towers and stuff and singing like like it was really high energy. So I think the fact that it was high energy really spoke to him and his personality. He's so funny that I'm not sure who else could have done this song. But yeah, that's uh, interesting. I don't know what else is there to say about it. It kind yeah. of speaks for itself. Absolutely. It is what it is. But it is one of your only sing along anthems. Is that yeah. Yeah, I've written, you know, some others like, uh, yeah. you know, Nobody But Me, but that's probably the... The biggest. 
the, sing along. Probably the funniest, funniest sing along thing that I've got. So, is that today the one that the crowd participates in with more than others? Or you know, there's, there's, like, uh, there's many of them, I guess. Yeah, that one and nobody but me. Yeah. And uh, Survivor, the Reba theme yeah, song. Yeah. Uh, I get a lot of people singing along with that. Does it matter if the crowd is sober or drunk? <laughs> how well they respond to the song? Well, uh, depends on if I'm sober and drunk, <laughs> if I can uh, get them in. But it, no, it's like, I think uh, I think it depends on the audience, you know, if, if they remember that era, if it was their era, they're all into it. You know, you get a lot of times crowd that's never heard the song that goes, wow, this is great. This is fun. I got to go check this out. Thank you for listening to Backstory Song. If you like our podcast, you can become a patron at our Patreon page, where you will receive bonus interview tracks with your favorite songwriters and early release access to upcoming episodes. It is only $3 per month or the price of a cup of coffee to become a Backstory Song patron. I was trying to deal I was trying to cope I was losing my grip at the end of my rope You say you only did What you had to do So I spent my time Doing that too So I just stay drunk I just stay stoned I'd rather die young Than to grow old alone So just getting by Yeah When I was starting to record Like this album My producer and best friend, Paul Compton, he's like, man, you know, if you're going to do this record, you're going to have to be vulnerable. I wrote that song that day by myself, and it was uh, just kind of about the hole that I was in and couldn't wait to get out of. You know, we recorded it. The amazing Savannah Conley, who's on Atlantic Records, she sang on it with me. Moving on. It's changed a lot of lives and people that's heard this album and people that's kind of been where I've been. That's the one they all go to and they're like, man, that song kills me. And it's almost too painful for me to hear. It was really painful for me to write, you know, because that's probably the most vulnerable that I've ever been as a writer. You know, to say I live like a devil and I love like a whore. And a lot of people ask me, they're like, what does that mean? And uh, it just means that I didn't feel anything. That line, love like a horde, it just means that I didn't feel anything for anybody. So it's like just a time in my life that I'm not proud of, but I think it's our job as writers to not only write about the stuff that, uh, you know, that's easy to write about, about falling in love, about doing this. It's also to write about those times 
in our lives when we're down at the bottom and we're uh, down at the lowest depths that we can get to because there's other people there. And so my hope was with this song that when they heard that to go, okay, there's somebody else there. And so anybody that follows me, that's my fans, they know it's a happy ending. You know, that that was just a, a phase in my life where I was just getting by. So that, that's why I'm really proud of that song. Talks a lot about drinking and drugging. Right. You know, I don't know if I've ever had a drug problem and uh, I'm not an alcoholic. You know, I like to drink, you know, but uh, the stone, it was a great rhyme, but uh, it was also, you know, during, during that time, it was, uh, you know, after going through a divorce or, and I had like five or six deaths in my family at the same time. I definitely was drinking a lot more than I usually do. You know, it's definitely talking about subjects that I'm not necessarily very proud of, but it is also very real. So it's like, I'm not going to deny anything I did at any point in my life because, you know, it's just part of my life. Thank goodness I'm at a point in my life right now where I'm very happy. Everything's good. And, uh, you know, I hope that happens, but it's like, I think it's our jobs as writers to cover the spectrum of what life is. So how long does it take you to write? I wrote it in about 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Uh-huh. So you had the song idea? No, you know what? This one, I just uh, sat down, started from the first note, and it was almost real time. You know, I wrote it from the first line to the last line and one of those that fell out the music and, fell out yeah uh, music and lyrics no, at the same it, time. it's basically the same time it was all paul saying look if you're going to do this album you've got to be vulnerable and so i just sat down and let myself be vulnerable and basically told my story at that point so you write it and then you say this is great you know what? I didn't know if it was great because, you know, a lot of people here and it's like probably pretty dark for most people, but I knew it was real. I knew I'd prick my finger and bled on paper and I knew it was me. So it kind of became like other than moving on, like the cornerstone of this whole project. It was like, you know, this is something that I can say because I went through it. It's honest. I knew like my heroes like John Prine and uh, Christopherson and those guys would definitely do something like that where like a mainstream artist wouldn't touch that for with a 10 foot pole because, you know, they don't want anything negative. But, you know, negative is also a reality in people's lives. So it's like I just wanted the whole album to be like a a whole spectrum between people that's been through hell and ended up coming out of it. It kind of reminds me of late Johnny Cash, too. Yeah, well, thank you, man. Johnny was a huge influence on me and uh, Don Williams and uh, those cats, you know, Tom Petty. Were you feeling that, that it was from those 
kind of influences at all, or did it just yeah. come? You know what? I, I think thing? I think everything I do is a direct reflection of uh, Tom Petty and Don Williams and uh, Johnny Cash and Chris and John Prine and those cats because I grew up listening to them. You know, like Bob Dylan, those guys, they were all such huge influences. So I think everything I do and everything I love is a direct reflection of the music they made. So who did you bring in the studio with you on this? That was just me playing guitar and my producer, Paul Compton, and uh, an amazing guitar player named John Conley, who uh, played the electric guitar and then i asked savannah conley she's been out touring with brandy carlisle and brent cobb and she's just an amazing singer and i've known her since she was a little girl and i was like hey will you sing with me on this and she uh politely agreed to do it and so I, you know i was really proud of it it's not what i would call super radio friendly yeah i would say it's not radio friendly at all but in the Modern era, yeah. Do you think there's a place for you know what? I think it's this uh, kind of song. I hope there is. You know, I knew when I wrote that 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 wasn't going to be a radio hit. I was doing a show down in St. Augustine, Florida last year, and one of my fellow songwriters that I'd known for a year he came up to me and he said, Man, I just went through rehab because of your song. If it did nothing else but that, then it's worth it, you know. But I've had several that get my album that that's their favorite thing, you know, that listen to it. It's like I can't stop crying, you know, because that's something that I went through or it's something that I'm going through now. But then they hear songs like Alabama Clay. And, you know, I, I didn't make this album for radio. I made it for me and my fans. So it's like... If it never gets played on radio, then uh, I'm still proud of it. It is a rock bottom feeling yeah. in the song. Yeah, it's a, well, it's about being on rock bottom. And I didn't hide from that. I let myself be vulnerable. But, you know, it's funny when the minute I got through writing that song, it was a healing and finishing that song that, Every day got a little better from that point on because I think I hadn't got it out until I wrote that song. He gave you closure. Yeah. Backstory Song's mission is to help songwriters and their work get found and discovered so they can make a living and keep on creating great songs. The best way to pay a songwriter is to listen to their songs. Unfortunately, with the decline of radio listeners, songwriters who live off royalties do not make the same royalties they used to. Please help out the Backstory songwriters by listening to their songs on our playlist. Share Backstory song episodes with your friends on your social media and encourage them to do the same. By liking and sharing Backstory song on your social media, you'll be helping the songwriters on this podcast. Grandma didn't know my Afghan Grandpa whittling on a stick 
They say he walked her home from school one day And they've been together since Well, she never thought of leaving Even when he hit the shine She said the first ten years were hell The last forty sure were fine they don't make them like that no more, no more They don't make them like that no more Any modern day girl would have been long gone They don't make them like that no more The good Lord called Grandma in the fall of 99 And I remember Grandpa saying I hope I'm not far behind Well, we tried to cheer him up And help him to move on But he just stared at her old pictures Cried and smiled and moaned Said they don't make them like that no more, no more They don't make them like that no more He said I'm glad I'm not a young man now Cause they don't make them like that no Last week we buried Grandpa And I cried and cried and cried Cause I'll only know a man like him Maybe once in all my life Like a lightning bolt it hit me So I pulled out my cell phone And I called a band engraver To come write this on their stone they don't make them like that no more, no more They don't make them like that no more They don't make them like that no more, no more They don't make them like that no more They don't make them like that no more Where's my box of tissues? I, I had it here. There, thank you. I have to give you a little backstory, um, if I can, and I will cut this out in all likelihood. But uh, uh, my dad, who at 85, passed away on Memorial Day. It's really a beautiful thing in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm doing this in part for him. We raised seven kids, and we were all flying to Minneapolis to... Uh, go to my brother's 40th birthday and he flew in and five of my siblings flew in the night before they had a steak dinner and two Tito's on the rocks and a brew pub that he loved. And, uh, he went home to Marriott, got up the next morning and his brain, uh, arteries gave out. They rushed him to the hospital and I was on the airplane to arrive for the party. And, uh, and we all waited and we all watched him expire. And that's the first time I've seen uh, someone die. And mm -hmm. 
and it was my dad and he was and all seven of us were there we got to say goodbye we facetimed the grandchildren mm-hmm. and they all got to say goodbye that was kind of yeah. interesting confluence of modern technology and mm-hmm. <laughs> and and an event life event major life event he was a huge country western fan wow. and he and i had had uh, a moment after uh when i was in college and and we commuted together to New York in in, in a car, and uh, we'd always listen to Country Western Station because he'd been a Navy fighter pilot, and those mm-hmm. guys—that's all they listen. To. Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's the only thing you can listen to right. in the Navy, right? Is, is country music, right? <laughs> you know, right? Uh, I was telling even Stevens, uh, you know, Eddie Rabbit's "I, I Love the Rain Night" was in the charts right then, and yeah. you know that changed my life. So I have to give of of, of the three boys, my youngest brother's really taciturn and my oldest brother's um, he actually goes to storytelling i don't know if they're competitions in maine right but it does sound like long-winded affairs right and so they they pay me to give right. the eulogy right so i'm i've been using this exploration of this, this country music as a as a means to 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 to, to for grief relief right you know you. anyway so I apologize for no, crying, man. That's, that's what you want, right? <laughs> well, I was uh, I was with my dad when he passed, and uh, I gave the eulogy at both my mom and dad's funeral. Oh, but oh that God. song uh, is special to me. My mom and dad met on a blind date, and my dad had just got through boot camp, and uh, he came to Rogersville, Alabama. His parents had moved from Chicago to rogersville while he was in boot camp and so he came to see them after he got through boot camp and my my mom's uh best friend was my dad's first cousin and she introduces them on a blind date and this was like january 2nd 1955 the very next day my mom's best friend dad's first cousin gets killed in a car wreck two days later after knowing each other three days my dad drives my mom from uh Rogersville, Alabama to Iuka, Mississippi, and they get married. And she moves from Rogersville, uh, which she'd never been out of the state of Alabama before, but she moves to Germany with my dad. And uh, 55 years they were, were together. And four boys, 17 grandkids, and 40-something great, great, great grandkids now. So it's, uh, you know, it's a pretty amazing love story. They don't make them like that anymore. Right. Exactly. This song is about grandparents. Yeah, it, we made it about grandparents, and the inspiration was my mom and dad and their love story. But, you know, being uh, from Alabama, there's a couple places in there where I used my uncle, who uh, ended up being a deacon at his church, but back in the heyday of Prohibition and everything, he ran shining. He he was married to uh, my Aunt George Ann, who... It was just a angel, you know, to put up with him because he was just a hell raiser. You know, he ran from the law and he was uh, he was selling shine out of the back of that old Chevy, you know. And so, uh, you know, there's other uh, people I use in, in this song that uh, were just characters from my life. But the story was based on my mom and dad and their love story. And so you flipped it to grandparents. I did. Why? Uh, mainly because I got four brothers. We're all like eight years apart. 
And so when we started writing this song, I'm like, if I write this about my parents to, you know, in that time period, there's not going to be any artist that's going to relate to it, but they would relate if it was their grandparents. The line I really like is, and I've seen this so many times, and we, I think we all have, is when one passes, the other just feels <laughs> like... They just fade away. Just, that was why I was here. Yeah. So I don't really need to be here anymore. Right. You know? And, right. And that happens so many... And did that... Is that... You know... Just, you observe that in life? Or? Yeah, I have. You know, that uh, there's so many people just die of... Uh, being lonely or brokenhearted and uh the person they're with is the whole reason they're here so you have recorded this i have it's on that uh it's on my new uh album that's called moving on sessions volume one and it's on uh all digital platforms and uh you know they're playing like alabama clay on satellite radio and uh they're playing no more on satellite radio and uh Sirius XM some so you know ho hopefully it reaches the masses so so tell me about the production session we made that uh me and a couple of buddies uh Bart Bush and Paul Compton we've all been buddies since college and have all went on to be pretty successful in the music business so uh when I decided to do this I called them up you know, I'd been in Nashville like 27 years and uh, I was like, man, I really want to go back to most shows because that is uh, kind of the core of my music. You know, my mentors are uh, a guy named Spooner Odom and another guy named Donnie Fritz who just passed away this past couple of weeks. And uh, I just wanted to go back down to most shows and, and make this album. And so that's what we did. So that's going back home. Yeah. Truly, to Muscle Shoals, I've never been there. It's pretty What's magic. it like? It's amazing. Like, uh, it's it's weird. It's a small town environment, and uh, I don't know if you've seen the documentary, I have but seen it's that. Uh, it, it's pretty incredible because uh, you know the whole rest of the world during that time thought that this band was you know just uh, they didn't know they were just a bunch of white guys from high schools around there there's just great musicians so aretha came in and paul simon would call and say man i want that same black band that you used on aretha and and they're like well you, you can get them but they're mighty pale you know and it's like but it was just it's a magical period it's the 60s and you know it was the blending of the races and what i love about it right now is you know they all truly loved each other in a time where they weren't supposed to. And they were making music together in a time they weren't supposed to. So there's something about that that you don't get in any other recording capital or recording town like Nashville or New York or even Detroit, you know, or Memphis or L.A. It was just it was deep south and it was segregated. And, you know, those guys that that were a part of that were making more than music and they were changing more than uh than they thought so they don't make them like that anymore they yeah. still make them like that you know what <laughs> it's uh it's kind of booming again down there and uh you know i spend half my time in nashville and half my time in muscle shows and 
I've been loving working down there again because, uh, you know, there's still that great love for the music makers that come out of that area. And there's this great respect that I don't think you get anywhere else. Is there anything quirky about the Muscle Shoals recording studios? You know what? No, you know, there's some that hadn't changed a lot, but most of them, uh, and there's some great records being made down there. Right now you got like Jason Isbell and St. Paul and the Broken Bones and Alabama Shakes. And uh, there's some really cool things going on down there. And it's, uh, you know, I think the people... It's left. We've lost several of the guys now. You know, Barry Beckett was a mentor of mine. He passed away several years ago. And uh, Jimmy Johnson, who is the founder of the Swampers, uh, just passed away last week. His funeral was Monday, and I went. So I think there's a passion among the handful of the guys that has been successful in the music business that want to keep that alive. So when you're recording a song like they don't make them like that anymore, right? In a place like that, right? It's like you're on hallowed ground, or exactly. you have a a torch to carry. Absolutely. Or, what's the feeling? In you know the, what of all I the think. Uh, that are in the room. You know, I think there's just a a passion to uh, make more magic there because there's something magic in that around that river and in, in, in that place that uh, is the soundtrack of all our lives where was made in that little Alabama town. And so who did you pick to go into that studio with you? It was uh, me and, and my buddies who were both from North Alabama, a guy named Billy Lawson, uh, Spinner Oldham, who uh, was my mentor, who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame now. You know, guys like Will McFarlane, uh, James LeBlanc, and uh, so it's you know it's it's pretty magical. Some pretty big man. names in there. Yeah. All right. Great. Anything else on this one? No, thank you. <laughs>